For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 363 of This Old Marketing for Friday, February 17th. 2023. And with me, as always, is my pal, my colleague, and a guy who thinks all these balloons getting shot down is just because of inflation, Mr. Joe <laughs> oh Polizzi. Oh, my God. You see, Are you kidding you see me? what I did there? You, you see what I did oh, there? Oh, no. Yeah. You did yeah. not take a very political thing and make it funny. Yeah. You did. You that was a good one. I'm, I'm highly Thank impressed. You. Thank you. By that. So. Thank you. Yeah, how much. are you? I haven't Thank talked to you in a while because yeah. we had our little special. I know special episode. Which personally, I'm liking the free time in between. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I can imagine you well. Well, you are you are liking the free time in between because you're spending good quality time in well, between on vacation and boats and beaches and bars and you know it, pretty much anywhere you can have a beverage in your left hand, pouring it into your mouth is is pretty much. Your free time. Well, it's it's more than that, Robert. Let me explain exactly the importance of this. Is okay. Right. For and this is yeah. this is the hard hitting analysis I've been no. waiting for. Yes. <laughs> for for the last many years, as February would come around, I would get a case of the February blues, and sometimes it was very significant. And what we've learned over the yeah. years is that if we get Joe into a very warm place in February instead of negative twenty and snow in Cleveland, Joe yeah. is better all around as a person. He doesn't yell at people. He, the temper right. is not there. I mean, it's he starts it's, speaking about himself in the third exactly. Person. This yeah, is how a, Joe. This is how Joe maintains. So, uh, <laughs> yes, we've been uh, basically two weeks out of out of February. We will be gone. One I've already taken. I will take another one, and uh, and and do some some relaxation in the sun, if you will, and some other things. Well, this but. is good. I think it's it's self care is absolutely a priority these days for folks, and I think it's good that you're taking this time for yourself and your wonderful beautiful family to to enjoy something warm right i mean here in southern you could always move to southern california by the way where it is definitely warm all the time and you could enjoy beaches and those kinds of things as well i mean you you know it, i mean i know cleveland is lovely but you could just you could just buy a place out here in southern california and move but here. then i would miss the change uh, of seasons in february See that's why that's why we live in Northeast. Well, no, Ohio. you only live here in February. You just move. You just move here in. Well, maybe even just right around Christmas time. You move right or after Christmas time if you like that sort of winter wonderland at Christmas. Then you could, in January, you could move out to Southern California, spend three months here uh, till March, which is when it starts to get really hot here. And then you could move back to Cleveland it, for end of March, and it's so definitely something to consider. Yes, I, I think that actually, yeah. you know, I know next to you, Drake owns a whole street, so maybe Drake would rent yes, out that is one of his pavilions uh, next door, or or maybe the Kardashians are doing an Airbnb, which it's uh, all together it possible. Be, it it absolutely could be. They are, by the way, Drake is selling that whole <gasps> what? street. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that he has sold it. I have no intimate knowledge of this or inside knowledge in any case, but I do understand that the the 
you know, for those of you who have missed the show and <laughs> running of this uh, this ongoing meme, yes, Drake owns in my neighborhood a, a cul-de-sac, basically, of four. It's, I think it's four. It might be five, but I think it's four houses um, at the end of that call. And he's basically closed off the entire street because of it. He's made it a private It's like street. a block party, you know, like when people block off the street because they have a, a group block party. Drake has a That's block right. party yeah. every day. A permanent, yeah, a permanent block party. It's fantastic. Yes, exactly How do right. you get that kind of level? in Los Angeles. That's what I want to know. Well, that's so that's what a lot of people would like to know actually because it's uh it, it caused quite the consternation here um that he could actually do something like that and block what is ostensibly a I mean, it's arguable about whether it's a public street or not because it is a cul-de-sac. It doesn't go through anywhere, but it so it is a dead end. Um but nonetheless, it is now a street that is unusable by the neighborhood and so it, there was there was much consternation about how he would be able to legally do all of that, and it was you know. You, now you can't. Can you can you walk down that street? No, you can't even you walk cannot. down. You no. There is a security guard who will accost you <laughs> if you walk down the street, and they know um, and they you know, know who you are. They still don't let you pass. What's going on? That, oh yeah. Did you tell no, them that no, you know, know Kim Kardashian? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 that you used but to I live next, see, to, that's the thing. next yeah. to Jesus? I mean, come on. Yeah, well, yeah, and he's no longer around I either, know. obviously. He's, I know. Nobody knows where he is. He seems to be vacated the planet. I don't know. You know, it, it, he's... It's he been a tough... not be around. And well, his, I think his PR person just said, you know, just go away for a while. And then people will forget, and then you can come back about all of his horrible comments that he made. Well, or it's his lawyer saying basically you need to disappear because there's so many people who want to serve you with papers at the moment. So you might want to make yourself a little scarce to delay some of these lawsuits. Probably, are, yeah. Are, Probably is in another country. You. That yeah. would be the that would yeah. be the smart move. That was that was good intelligence, yeah. good advice. Yeah. Indeed. So. Indeed. So, well, did you watch the big game? Did you watch the uh the 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 big Super Bowl? I, uh, over the I weekend, did. or were you still? Uh, no, no. I watched the entire game and all the commercials. Probably, yeah. Probably the most I've watched the game in, in a long, long time. I've, I've, and, and it was fantastic. Yep. Very competitive. Great game. I thought that. Yeah, great game. I thought that when uh, when Mahomes got hurt there in the second quarter, that it was over. But comes back, plays an outstanding game, and uh, I, of course, you have to talk about the end of the game because everybody's complaining. Because of the the penalty, I don't know why anybody's complaining about that. I, I you know, I mean, ticky tacky or not, it, I don't know why anybody's complaining because it's not like it took a score off the board, or it's not like it, 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 you know, I mean, it did ostensibly end the game because they got a first down and and they could. Well, run that was the clock. difference. It, uh, it was about what a forty, pay me forty seconds or something could have been. So right. so Philadelphia could have had the ball back and tied the game with a field goal. But I think this is fixable, and I think it will be fixable. I think what the NFL is going to do, a lot of people are not going to like this, but I think you're going to get a couple challenge flags where you can challenge penalties. I don't see a problem with that. We're already throwing challenge flags on all kinds of things, but we can't do it on penalties yet. Well, as long as you limit it, it's, it's and I think what the way you do it is well they've been talking about I mean they've been talking about that for a long time since the Saints game remember the Saints game when it was blatant pass interference and it was meaningful uh, in that game um, and it wasn't a Super Bowl it was the 
playoff game of, of something, and it basically cost the Saints, or it cost the the uh, forgetting who it was they were playing. No, I know whatever the, game the team that Saints about. were yeah. playing. Yeah, but they basically, I mean, it was blatant. I mean, the guy hit him and didn't get called. The penalty didn't get called, and the 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 question then was, can you throw a challenge flag to get a penalty called? And that's an interesting. Both of those scenarios are very interesting. To, because penalties are judgment calls in, in many cases. And so it's really hard to say, you know, you should get a penalty called when one didn't get called or when one does get called, challenge the ability to, to you know, to, to call that penalty. If it's going to be, yeah, it's especially whether they do it at the end of the game or some special circumstances. I mean, even in European football, I mean, they do that all the time and check the VAR for offsides. All happens all the time. So a goal happens, yeah, and they immediately right. check it, just like you check our two feet in bounds for a touchdown, whatever. It's the same type of thing. Right. Yeah, throw, give them, give them the minimum amount of flags, and if they use them early in the game, then they're out. Their fault for wasting them, whatever. But I yeah. don't want it. I just don't like games that people have excuses because that's what I saw on social, and all the Eagles fans are very upset, just like the Bengals fans were upset the you know the game before. I just I don't want that's unnecessary because we can fix it. That's all I'll say. Yeah, but that's more right. importantly, I, 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 we should talk about the ads, the commercials. Yeah, yeah, the ads, the marketing. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, so did you have any favorites, or did you have any uh, like wh- horrible or or really just not good? Or any 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 outstanding uh, or remarkable ads for you? The, well. I see what, first of all, I see what M&M's was trying to do. Really? I don't. I, 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 I've, I mean, I'd love to hear. Well, your, I mean, they're making kind of fun, you know, for people that don't know, you know, the whole thing with, oh, we're not doing the M&M stuff or the, the candy stuff anymore because the of candy, the cancellation. Yeah, right. And then they come back with the whole Maya's thing. But I don't, they probably could have done it much simpler. I think they just overcomplicated it. And made it confusing. Yes, more than anything That's right. else. So why why even do that? I think from the other side, my favorite commercial that was on air was the Bud Light commercial with the dancing on hold music. I thought that was that just seemed, that was pretty good. Seems so yeah. real to me. Yeah, I mean, like that was yeah. just fantastic, and uh, the way that that was done. Now the the my favorite that wasn't on was Ryan Reynolds' uh, two genet warning that he did. You see this? I did not. Oh my see gosh! This. That to me, I think that stole the whole thing. It's a two-minute little clip of Ryan Reynolds talking about he's been so busy with Wrexham and other things, he didn't have any time to put together an aviation gin commercial. And just on the spot, okay. of course, this is all rehearsed. But on the spot, he comes up with this idea: What if we did something with minute or two? He said, "We're going to do two minute warning." So he said, you know, you go to at the two minute warning, you go to two warning.com and you sign up and you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl next year. And that was it. And it was just Ryan Reynolds being funny and off the hip. And it was fantastic. I did not see that one. I missed I'm, I must have missed that one. I must have gone to the bathroom or something and missed and, and oh shoot that we were all yeah i mean i wasn't good. doing it but the people i was with they were all going online during that time gotta go get you know gotta sign in and of course my wife she said that she would give any information that ryan reynolds asked for <laughs> well of so course. i don't know what yes, that means exactly that. but yeah, yeah so that those yeah. were those are my my two do you have a you have a favorite 
or a non-favorite? Well, I think the headline, yeah, the headline for me is how unremarkable all of them were. Um, th- there was just nothing that really stood out. I, I, you know, in, in terms of uh, there's, I'm actually going to write a, a a post on this uh, for for this week's news where. I had originally seen, you know, from all of the previews that had been, you know, because of course, you know, there are there are now trailers for the Super Bowl yep. commercial that you can follow. But um, I thought there was going to be a lot more integration with long term campaigns and content and media experiences and all of those things. And it was quite surprising to me actually how many of them were just classic thirty second with a celebrity trying to be funny or trying to be profound or trying to be emotional in some way and didn't really connect to anything. And by the way, we're just kind of meh when it, you know, I mean, it, it was almost like the, uh, the cliched Super Bowl ad, right? It's just like, Oh, how stupid and silly can we be? And da, 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 da. And, and it's, I, I just, the unremarkability of most of the ads was, was what was remarkable to me. Having said that, I would say my two favorites. I mean, my favorite was the farmer's dog one, and it's not even close, right? The 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 pet food. I don't know if you I saw did that see one it, but right I think there. it also matters if you have a pet. Yes, of course, and or and or obviously, I was not the target yeah, audience I mean, for was, that. It was a very nice that, ad. Uh, yeah, there yes. you go. Oh, it was beautiful. It was it was it was lovely. Um, and uh, so that one was the, my favorite, and not even close for the others. But I did, I do have to say that I did enjoy very much the Duncan. With Ben Affleck and uh, Jennifer Lopez, I did. That, I loved it. One. We need more J Lo, but yeah. other than that, yeah. I, but then when she when she's at the, I thought yeah. they there was a whole concept there that they could have really run with and would have been funny to do like a couple of. Oh my god, that's what ads. I was hoping for. I hope there were more. Yeah, because they were just getting into it where she pulls up at the drive through and says, "Make sure you right. grab a glazed. Get, <laughs> you get, you bring me a glaze. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, the 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 conceit for that whole thing is so great. And then they just, you know, to me, again, speaking to the whole unremarkability of most of them, they just didn't pay it off in the ways that it was like such a great setup that didn't live up to its potential, I think. So that was my, my most, the most disappointing one for me was the Serena ad. Well, I think it was for crown Royal. Maybe it's, it was this very trying to be very inspirational ad about all the things that we can do as human beings and then it ends oh, up I, at the very yes, end. Now I'm remembering it. Being, yeah, you see, you see alcohol, and I'm like, yeah, really? Like, yeah, we're gonna really, do. We're yeah, all yeah, doing exactly. all this stuff because, yeah, we can do a shot. I mean, <laughs> it just seemed like such a letdown. Like I could see that from a Nike yeah. or, I don't know, a different brand, but that just seemed to be off brand entirely. Yeah, it was really weird to have her walk through all of those scenarios. And then at the end, basically be, and you can have some rum. <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever it you know, was. It's just, yeah. it was such a letdown, to your point, just not not finishing the story properly, if you will. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I saw the the stats. I think they had 113 million people watching. Oh, they had a great audience. Yeah, second no, they best, had a great audience. Second best ever, sure. 1% yep. over last year. So they've got to be it's fairly good. happy. I mean, next year. Oh, more bro, more bro hugs for the commissioner all around. I forgot about I forgot about one ad that I that oh, yeah. I want to uh, give a shout out to the the YouTube ad uh, for the fact that they're going to have Sunday Ticket. Uh, oh yeah, next year like the, their Directv is losing Sunday Ticket and YouTube is getting it, which I'm 
honestly very excited about. Um, but the, the, the ad was the sort of keyboard cat, the classic meme, the keyboard cat basically playing the, the, uh, the theme song from the NFL. Which was so great. It was just, it was very funny that I forgot about Oh, the that one that I, I forgot about to. too, that I don't know how to describe it, but it was the 2B ad where it just cut out halfway and it oh, looked like yeah. it was scrolling yeah. um, like yeah. through your streaming channels. I had one, two people in our little party look at me and say, turn it back. And like, right. it's, a, it's yeah. a commercial. What are you talking? Like yeah. really believed it. Thing. It was, it was so yeah. funny. It was well oh, done. Oh, God, yeah. So there we go. Yeah, another another Super Bowl. Right. Maybe next year yeah. it'll be Cowboys-Browns. <laughs> there you go. I think that's probably a safe prediction uh, at this point. Yeah, I'm going to <laughs> bet on that. Actually, I don't. I don't do any online betting because I believe there it will go. be the downfall of humanity. But I did hear that number one and number two places for online betting in the United States were Kansas City and Philadelphia. Number three, Cleveland, Ohio, baby. Of course, because yeah. we just it was just there legalized and people are going crazy like it's cotton candy around here. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's terrible. Much to discuss, and, and including which we have a we have a show to discuss. Yes, we have a a, a wonderful show here to to get to. Lots of news while you were uh, away, <laughs> um, and uh, so we'll catch up on some of it. And some of it is actually new news this week. Uh, we'll start by talking about how Time uh, Magazine will actually launch a new commerce site powered by Taboola. Interesting combo there. New business model for Taboola. New. Uh, kind of experience for Time Magazine, and we'll talk a little bit about what that might mean for other publishers as well as product companies. Uh, we'll talk about the war against disinformation and how it seems to have been lost. Uh, this will come to us courtesy of the New York Times, talking about how social media and disinformation, the battle may be uh, just unwinnable. Uh, content creators are also concerned, apparently, with new AI features in Bing and in Google. This seems to be dominating the news uh, over the last week and a half, and uh, we'll certainly talk at some length about AI, including, by the way, BuzzFeed is now using AI, and as uh, one columnist has said, starting a race to the bottom. <clears throat> and then uh, we'll get to rants and raves, where Joe, he's going to start talking a little bit about, I guess it's how reading fiction, uh, in other words, making people a better person. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, something uh, like that. <laughs> Something like that. We'll wait. We'll wait till we get to that. Hopefully, I'll explain it better than you just did. But I'll, 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 okay. give, it, I'll give it a try. That lovely tea. But I'm waiting for yours. And your, your, yours yes. is what? Well, well, mine is. So I posted on LinkedIn this last week, and lo and behold, had had that sort of experience that you know few of us get uh, very often, which is I had a post go really viral on LinkedIn. So. Um, I uh, talking about the Google uh, call it the Google mess up uh, on their Bard launch, trying to newsjack uh, the wonderful uh, Microsoft and what they were doing, and didn't you know didn't have such a great day. And I talked about how it's really our fault, uh, not necessarily the AI's fault. But, but don't anyway, give it all away. Yeah, uh, we're gonna have, we're gonna talk about it. Yeah, I have Very some good stuff. I have some commentary. Basically, I have some commentary on the comments that were made. There were and there were a lot. Yeah, like of a thousand on that particular post. Yeah, uh, not uh, there was a thousand uh, uh, likes. There was a couple it, of hundred comments and like more than a hundred reposts. Oh my god! It went. It, yeah, it, was, it went. Uh, it went yeah. viral. It went viral as viral as something can go on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn usually goes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah, I'm very proud sure. of you for that. Proud of you. Oh well, proud thank of you. you. 
Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I am trying to follow in the footsteps of Joe Polizzi on. Well, I've never had a post do that before. So I'm, yeah. I'm now I'm now I'm I trying had to one. reach for Robert Rose status. Yeah, I had I've had one more of those go viral like that in my in my career, which was back when LinkedIn purchased. Uh, what was that? The SlideShare when they purchased oh, yes. SlideShare and. And I talked to, and I did an analysis of what I thought was going to be the the amazing thing there, and actually SlideShare ended up posting it, reposting it, and LinkedIn reposted it because I did it very timely. I did it like an hour after they announced the thing, uh, and I got a I, I got on the front page of SlideShare, and I got on a, a bunch of LinkedIn things. So that's the but that's the last time I've ever had anything go like that. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to talk Excellent. about for sure. Excellent. All right. Well, let's jump into our first story here, which is uh, coming to us courtesy of Axios. Uh, the It's an exclusive by Axios. And uh, it says Time, meaning Time Magazine, will launch a new commerce site powered by Taboola. Time plans to launch a new commerce website next year powered by content created by a team of editors and writers at Taboola, uh, executives told Axios. Uh, and this is, uh, as the Taboola CEO, Adam Singolda, uh, said, it's a long-term investment, a five-year agreement agreement between Taboola and Time. The agreement is designed to be long-term so that both Taboola and Time can build trust among consumers and Time readers and commerce recommendations, a content marketing play, if I may. Uh, and then uh, uh, the new commerce site, which is yet to be named, is going to focus on products and service categories that align with Time's existing editorial coverage. Uh, and they'll lean into Time's established reputation for trusted information and guidance and offer up products for sale. And then there will be an affiliate model uh, to be uh, put against that. This is a new business model for Taboola, uh, which is launching called Taboola Turnkey Commerce, which provides publishers a ready-to-use commerce recommendation engine for them to sell affiliate advertising against. Fascinating uh I'm finding this fascinating from a number of perspectives, but uh, what did you think about that? Well, I think that I thought they had a name. It was Timebula or (laughs) Oh, dear. Or or Tablime. Tambourine? Tablime. Sublime Tablime. Tablime. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I think that if you look at the success that New York Times has, has had with Wirecutter. That was the they made that purchase for thirty million years ago. Yep. I think that set the stage for what we're seeing now. I like, well, I don't know if I like or don't like the move. I think we'll see as an experiment, but you have to look with all the things that are happening, and even what we, we talk about later with BuzzFeed and changing of the model and AI content, where are the new revenue levers going to be for publishers like a time? It, it's funny, you know, when I started in this business 20 plus years ago, this was called reprints. Like you'd take your evergreen content or you'd take your content that you already published and then you would sell reprints to somebody or package a site together for somebody and that you'd give them the licensing rights to run that content. Now today you're going to keep that yourself and you're going to put together what it looks like, if I'm reading this correctly, a verticalized or niche topic site uh, based on content that already exists, and then that's from time, and then Taboola's gonna come in and do the, their you know amazing magic and it's actually pretty ingenious because they can buy traffic for nothing across hundreds, if not thousands of different publishing sites. And I'm under the assumption is they'll do the economic model where they're going to bring in cheaper traffic and then try to monetize that for just a little bit more than they're spending to get traffic to that site. That's, that's what I read into it. Did I read into, is that correct? Is that what you're looking at? Well, here's what I'm curious about, which is, 
you know, the, the interesting thing with Wirecutter and, New York, and the New York Times acquisition of Wirecutter was that it was already a niche content site, right? It was a niche content site that basically monetized through affiliate marketing. And so when I think about that, that's, it's, it's a perfect match because you have Wirecutter doing reviews and articles about technology and gadgets and gear and all that sort of thing, and then monetizing their editorial through links to products that would be uh, then affiliate marketing-based. I'm struggling a little bit with what in time would be an immediate match for products, right? You know, in other words, if I read about Times Man of the Year or I'd read about uh, the articles about politics and world wars and, and all those kinds of things, I'm struggling a little bit. You know, there's the entertainment section, I suppose, and there's lifestyle stuff within time, but I'm struggling a little bit with the direct correlation between that and products. What I don't sort of question is the ability to put together a time-branded products site that itself is associated with likes of its users. In other words, looking at user behavior on time and the segmentation of the audiences and saying, here's what the kinds of products that those audiences are likely to want to buy and basically creating a time shop, if you will, uh, for various kinds of products. And it becomes this e-commerce site, which is focused in on, I'm not sure what they're, how they're going to theme this, right? The, the e-commerce and differentiate here, much like a wire cutter would do. So I'm a little, I'm very curious to see how they're actually going to create a themed experience here other than just to slap Times logo on. No, no, that's a, I think um, that's a great point. But Because I think if you look at the press release or the Axios article we're looking at, they're talking about banking, insurance, mortgages, home, tech gadgets, fashion, and travel. Those are very competitive already. The most competitive right. of anything right. out there. So you're thinking, oh, okay, well, by... I, so, so I guess the, the question is, how do you get people to go to that site, even if Time already has the? I don't think it's the, the expertise that Time or the brand that Time's going to bring to the table. I think it's Tabula. Tabula. Tabula can bring the traffic to Time's content specific to that. That's where I think. That's why Tabula is getting the job. I think because they they went in with the pitch and can say, "Look, I don't care what you do. You could build a hundred of these things. We can get you traffic right now." Right. So that's exactly yeah. right. Because that's what they're going to do is they're going to syndicate out the products on Times Store to other sites, right? To, to their other, to their other, you know, the, the sites where they have reach on, you know, where, for those of you who don't maybe don't know, Taboola is one of those where at the bottom of CNN, for example, or other news sites, you'll see, you know, more like this from across the web. And, it, you know, and those are paid slots. They're like paid Google ads. They're paid slots for content that are then promoted through the Taboola marketplace. And you can buy you know, access to hundreds of thousands of sites by putting in a media yeah. buy and, and pay for traffic to come to you. And so one of the things they can do is save one of those inventory slots for themselves and start to promote products that are relevant, not on time site, but on relative on other sites and basically start to brand time as a commerce channel. And to your excellent point, that brings time traffic because you have to assume some of them will click through to the articles yep. that are that are in that site and, and so on and so forth. It's almost like an e-commerce gateway to content. And, and that's a, 
a fascinating thing. We'll see if it works. I'm just I'm 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 really yeah, curious it, to see if this works. The other thing that I'll mention quickly is remember that time has also built an entire division uh, of content marketing here uh, when it acquired that Brandcast company. Uh, and they license software for these easy-to-build marketing websites, called, and they call them time sites, right, where you can actually go to time now and build little microsites using their, their, uh, their, their, their services, right? It's sort of like the, the you know, internal content marketing studio for time in, in the way that it's building this digital content. I would be very, very uh, surprised if it weren't, if this capability weren't included here as well, right? The ability to include commerce into those little microsites too. It's interesting the way that Benioff is reimagining and I don't even know if this is right or not. Time will tell. But you're right with Brandcast. Uh-huh. That's, uh-huh. Uh they're whatever. I'm looking at their climate pr- platform CO2 and I didn't realize yeah. that 25% of Time's revenue comes from their studios division. I had no idea right. that that was a yeah. thing. So it's become a much different company but it reminds me of almost what netflix did and said oh we're going to start netflix and it's going to be everybody else's content and we'll just provide access well now tabula is with this partnership with time is they're creating their own content at the bottom of that cnn article that you're going to see so that's exactly it's it's interesting yeah that's exactly right yeah it's really interesting and really fascinating to uh to watch here all right let's move on to our next story here which comes courtesy of the new york times uh and it is about disinformation uh and the headline according to the new york times is combating disinformation wanes at the social media giants uh as the companies have shed jobs recently many teams assigned to combat false and misleading information have taken a hit says the new york times It says YouTube, like other social media platforms, spent years expanding its efforts to tackle misinformation after the 2016 election. It hired policy experts, content moderators, invested more in technology to limit the reach of false narratives. Not anymore. Last month, the company owned by Google quietly reduced its small team of policy experts in charge of handling misinformation. Uh, That is, and then it talks a little more about some details there. The cuts, this uh, article says, reflect a trend across the industry that threatens to undo many of the safeguards that the social media platforms put in place. I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure they did a lot, but (laughs) all right, it's going to undo the very little that they did, um, like false claims about COVID-19, the Russian war, or the integrity of elections around the world. Twitter, under its new owner, Elon Musk, has slashed its staff, while Meta, which owns Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, has shifted its focus and resources to the immersive world of the metaverse. So uh, the article goes on for some length, by the way. That's a very typical New York Times article, about 10,000 words too many. But um, it, it is... Uh, interesting because it goes into depth about a lot of these things and the research behind it and what's going on with regard to how social medias have begun to really abdicate their responsibility and in, in a time when you might have thought that they were actually doubling down on it. If you compare that and look at what's gone on contextually, right, with the recent hearings on, on the Hill um, with regard to Twitter and the misinformation that's coming out of there, from Elon himself, um, in terms of the ridiculousness of what's going on in those committee hearings about information that was suppressed by Twitter or not suppressed by Twitter, all of this really feels like social media is losing a, a, a losing a bigger war here than just you know sort of losing losing some people to quality control. I mean, what do you think? I think that they 
I think it's, that ship has sailed. I, I, I really, and I think it has for a long time. I think this is just more evidence that, and we've talked about it many times, that every person that you talk to has their own prism of information. Uh, and whether you're right or left or middle or, I mean, what's interesting to me is if you read this article, YouTube is talking about how they define or they, they look at or categorize trusted sources of information. So somebody right. at YouTube, apparently one person now, <laughs> according to this article, is going to make a decision on what a trusted source is. Okay. Who who makes that decision? And then whoever makes that decision has a big say. And, and of course, that happens on every channel, whether you're CNN or Fox or CNBC or whatever. You're saying, these are the things that we believe are true. And these are the things that we're okay to say. And these are the things that we're not okay to say. And everybody watches their own stuff. And I think this, it's just too much for the social media channels. And they just said, well, we're just going to let people figure it out. I, I really do. Especially when you have people like Elon Musk uh, bringing basically anybody who said anything horrible in the past back on the network. It's fine. It's okay. And I don't know if I, I don't know what's right or wrong. I'm not making a case that he's maybe that is the right decision to do. I just don't know. But I think that they <laughs> just basically defaulted to, ah, your individuals out there, your users of the platform, you clicked on the terms and conditions that you can't necessarily believe anything on this network. Have at it. Believe what you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to I further, a- you know, be divisive in how this information gets out. And I don't know if we can come back from this at all. I don't know. It's really, it's really, well, it's really interesting because the equivalent, right? Because one of the, one of the things that often gets compared is social media to traditional media, right? Where standards and quality control and all of those kinds of things have been, you know, editorial control, let's call it, have been front and center for since the really the beginning, right? You know, the 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 having to go through compliance and having to go through quality control for whether you're launching a sitcom or a television movie or even a theatrical movie about the way things get rated, the way things get vetted, the way things facts and and, and everything and, and misinformation gets done has for many been a very unfair comparison because traditional media has had to adhere to standards that social media hasn't and the and the the fight forever with social media has been well we're not a media company we're a platform and of course none of that is true so they haven't had to apply the same level of rigor to social media to the users putting up content because of quote unquote free speech that other media companies have done because they exercise editorial control over what goes on their network and all of that has been around cost, right? It's not that none of these companies can do this, can apply quality control or editorial control or access and, and quality of misinformation. It's that in a world where we have become accustomed to the immediate gratification of our post going live immediately, mm-hmm. instead of going through some review process, that's a very hard cost to now throw in a competitive market where others don't have to do that. And two having the human level intervention and we talked about this a couple of shows ago having the human level intervention the cost of that human level intervention on editing and adhering to standards is just going to be high and in a world where twitter and facebook meta broadly speaking 
and all of the social media networks are facing increased pressure for profitability, it's, it's an easy place for them to cut, right? It's an easy place for them to go, eh, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do it right now, so therefore we're, it, it's an easy place for Elon to cut. It's an easy place for Meta to cut to go reinvest in other places. It's an easy place for Google to cut with their pressures on advertising revenue uh, hitting them in the face, which is a sad, sad thing, really, because it ultimately is, and we'll talk about this in a little bit in, 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 with regard to AI, it really does start to get to what is now the usefulness of, of, of social media other than to just throw up anything that, you know, the, the lack of trust that we are starting to develop in social media as a culture means that it's, it's really a, it's, it becomes a cultural thing about trusting each other. And it's when the, you know, it, it, as I've said before, Twitter is not the town square. Meta is not the town square. It is the town. It is, you know, so it's, it's got just the same levels, numbers of dark alleys and horrible things as the town does. It is not the place where intelligent ideas or popular ideas or unpopular ideas go to get discussed. It is the place where every idea goes and, and good, bad, false, or otherwise. And I think it, it hopefully provides a level of opportunity for a social media network to come in and maybe take the place of these. And I, I don't know what that is yet or what that looks like, but I, I certainly see a turning point, a pivot point coming. It, it, it is going to change. You can just feel it, right? You can feel it with all the social media platforms right now where there's just like this ickiness in the air and there's something's got to give, right? Something's got to give with Facebook. Something's going to give with Instagram. Something's got to give with TikTok. Something's going to give with Twitter, and something's going to happen in the short future, I think, that's going to change all of it. Yeah, this. you're probably right. But in the meantime, as we wait for this event to happen, which I, I agree with you will probably happen, is everyone listening to this has the opportunity to become a trusted source. So become yeah. a trusted source. Because you could be the the, the person, the one person at YouTube should say, eh, that company's doing it right. Look at the way they have their content. They're a trusted source. You know, <laughs> whatever, right? So be that. I mean, that's where when you know, you talk about the whole town of Twitter, you know, you and I both have a couple tw trusted sources on there that we look at and go to. That's true. And so that's what I would my recommendation for anybody in content marketing or any content entrepreneurs out there is be the be the expert. And you don't have to be the expert to be the expert. You know, you you just have to, you know, create the create the consistency, put into the plans as you know them today and deliver on your word or whatever your content mission is and you'll start to build an audience and and you can't That's wait true. for whatever it, it, whatever algorithm changes or whatever new uh, outcries there are for this we don't know if they're going to happen so you deal with what, yeah. what's in front of you yeah i'm gl i'm glad you said that because the, I, i'm sure my comments could be taken to be very you know sort of De Debbie Downer there in terms of the the opportunities there. I I think you're absolutely right. There there are there are there still remain opportunities for those who are putting forward great content, great trustworthy thought, opinion, news, all of the above, and creating great value not only for the audiences of that, but for their mm -hmm. communities that they're building and and all those things. That that opportunity has not gone away yet. You know, it's it it. I heard somebody say, you know, for and the interesting thing is that here in the U.S. we we tend to have you know a very privileged look at things, 
and there was somebody who I was listening to a radio program was talking about these issues in other countries where basically Facebook is the internet, right? It, it, That's it, right. There, there is no, That's the gateway. There, there is no other, it's the gateway to everything. And, and it's it, it, in many ways, it is the main, if not only source of information. So those issues that we're talking about are even more pronounced there. So it's a, it's a fascinating time. And just to, sure. con- and to conclude with this, time. you mentioned whatever it was a month or two ago about the Edelman trust barometer that businesses yeah. are the ones that have the most trust, which is the craziest thing to think about, but it's true. So now that, now yeah. that, that, that consumers are more open to that, might as well run with it. That's right. I've, as I've been saying lately to clients, it's no longer an opportunity. Content marketing is no longer an opportunity. It's a responsibility. That's a good point. You have to be doing it. Yeah. You should, you should say that quote more often. Put, put that on your LinkedIn page a couple of times. That'll go viral. All right. There you go. There yep. we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right. Let's move to our next story here, which is uh, about content creators and AI. And we'll, we'll pair a couple of stories here together. The first one coming from Search Engine Land, uh, which uh, the headline here is that content creators are concerned with the new AI features in Bing and Google. Uh, the question that Search Engine Land asks is, will traffic from search to publishers drop with the new long chat-like answers? Publishers and content creators are becoming more and more concerned about their future following the previews last week of Google Bard and Microsoft's Bing AI with ChatGPT. A search results page with long, detailed, and incredibly smart answers to your queries versus a search results page with short descriptions and links are two very different search results pages. The former will likely drive fewer clicks from search to your content than the latter, resulting in uh, less traffic, fewer impressions, and less ROI on your content. In short, publishers and content creators are worried. If the publishers are worried, Google and Bing should probably also be concerned. Uh, The concerns, as several articles, blog posts, and videos have been uh, created over the past few days, uh, should uh, be really focused on the fact that web users spend more time with bots and less time clicking links. Publishers would be cut off from sales of subscriptions, ads, and referrals. And the article goes on to talk about a few uh, influencers and people that are interviewed and have opinions on this stuff, but basically saying the same thing. We'll pair that with an article that comes to us courtesy of theatlantic.com. Fascinating article, another fairly lengthy uh, article, but it says, Death by a Thousand Personality Quizzes. Uh, AI-assisted internet posting is already a race to the bottom, says the article. And it opens up by saying, One might assume that when your boss finally comes to tell you that the robots are here to do your job, he won't also point out with enthusiasm that they're going to do it ten times better than you did. Alas, this was not the case at BuzzFeed. Yesterday, at a virtual all-hands meeting, BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peretti had some news to discuss about the automated future of media. The brand, known for massively viral stories aggregated from social media and being the most notable progenitor of what might be called clickbait, would begin publishing content generated by AI programs. In other words, robots would help make BuzzFeed posts. Uh, When you see all this work in action, it's pretty amazing, says Peretti. And basically, the article goes on to talk about uh, these some of these articles that could be created and ha- the quizzes uh, have done all of this. And basically, uh, the point of the article at the end of it is that really all of this is a race to the bottom because AI will create commodity content and uh, the humans involved won't be, you know, w- won't be creating anything of value. 
What say you to all of this, right? This is from the content creator side. Are we going to get replaced with AI, uh, like Jonah Peretti is suggesting from articles in the BuzzFeed? Or on search, as marketers, how are we going to control who gets actually shown in terms of an answer to a question if there is only one answer and not a link, uh, a page full of links? Yeah, I don't know how to feel about some of this. It's interesting, at the bottom of this Atlantic article, it, uh, they talk about uh, Caitlin Tiffany's dead, inter- dead internet theory that basically says that the majority of the content on the web will be or is already synthetic, automated by AI itself. And I don't think we're too far. From, I don't think we're too far from that. I think a lot. If you think of just about undifferent, non-differentiated, anything newsy, weather-related, sports information, anything information-related. That's all going to be done through robots of some kind. That's how, and we're getting that already. I talked about, you know, how my fantasy sports for the last five years. I've been getting all my content is all generated through automated insights, AI engine. Yeah. So this is already right. happening. So what do we do about that? You know, is really to to create this differentiated content. But when I when I look back on the search implications, we talked about the whole Google Zero, right? This was a big deal a couple of years ago when you went to Google and you typed something in. They The zero count was they would just give you the answer at the top and not link to anything. So publishers are all upset about this because there's no link there. Well, now this is going to happen more and more. And you've got, I don't know what's going to happen with search. I don't think Google search is going away, but there are other options now. And increasingly going to be more options whether that be something like ChatGPT or just going to to any any service and just asking people robotic chat and you're going to get answers to it it's going to get kind of nuts with the whole thing so so again we just mentioned this what's the solution for all of us create differentiated content to a very targeted audience with a direct connection a direct build that audience directly if you can right now that answer is email in the future it might be web3 it might be an app i don't know what that's going to be but if you if people are going for information in your area and they're going to something like google or chat gpt first and not going to you it's going to be a problem for publishers it is yes indeed it is so what do you, so right now we still have an opportunity where Google is showing our content and social media sites are still showing letting us have this audience. So we this could be the golden age. The next 2 years, take advantage of it while you can build your audience because I can't promise no, nobody can promise anything in a couple of years whether or not you're just going to go out to some tool and they're going to give you all the answers on everything and you know, if you're not a differentiated brand and you don't have that relationship with an audience, you're SOL. I don't know. Yeah, it's there's there is so much to unpack here, and and so much that we don't know. Um, but I I believe I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, and I've been doing a fair amount of writing on it um, in terms of uh, articles I've been covering for the last the last few weeks. Here, it seems like every week I'm writing on something, and, and in fact, the social post that I talk about in LinkedIn is exactly on this yeah. topic. I I, I think. The interesting thing to me is where it logically concludes, uh, if you just sort of follow the, you know, follow the thread here that's, that's really teed up by both of these stories, is the logical conclusion is that we're going to start to see a lot more proprietary access to information and content. In other words, businesses are going to, if this becomes a thing, 
where, and this is where Google and Microsoft Bing have to be very careful in the way that they roll this out. Because, you know, if, if we just, let's just call, the internet may be dead or not, I don't think it is, but, but let's just call it the internet is dumb right now um, and is made smarter every day by access to more valuable information, more valuable content. In other words, the internet learns, right? Mm -hmm. The internet gets smarter as content that is smart rises to the top and content that is dumb rises to the bottom. Now we can argue that search engine optimization has made the internet more stupid, right? Because people have optimized for search rather than optimizing for quality or value in many cases. I know that's a way overly broad statement, but just Go with me here for a okay. second. If we if we have AI, insert AI into that question where really it, it becomes not about the breadth of what you're looking at, but basically pulling out the quality becomes the value. If I am the owner or proprietor of valuable content, I'm going to make that a premium. In other words, being an audience to my content, because so much of other of it is literally the weather or sports scores or things that can be constructed by AI based on things that have already been created or data that is easily accessible, the value, the premium on my content becomes the things that aren't available as a commodity or as data. In other words, my proprietary data, my proprietary ideas, my proprietary ways of phrasing things, and I'm going to place a premium on that and I'm not going to make it available to Google or Bing. I'm just not. There's no reason for me to do that because if you're going to use my information to provide direct answers to scrape it, it's going to encourage me. And you're already seeing the very beginnings of this, right, where publishers are now saying, listen, you go to a Google page now and you do a search and you get the search right there on Google's front page from my content. And and, and in, <laughs> I'm going to talk about this in just a moment when I get to a rancid race, but we're already seeing Google scrape much of the content for answers from external sites where you don't have to go to that external yep. site anymore. You can get the answer directly within Google. That is encouraging publishers, media companies, and content creators to say, you know what, I'm not going to make my content available to Google. I don't need to rank for search because if I can build my own audience and I can monetize that audience in a way that makes sense to me, then I don't need to be available in search. And in fact, being available in search creates a bit of a velvet rope and exclusivity, a value to that content that my audience can share and access to that audience and that helps me build my audience. In other words, the absence of my content on search is what creates the premium. So I think that's a very, very interesting trend for us to watch as these new interfaces to information come out. How many companies, how many brands how many media companies are going to start saying, nope, the, the access to Bing and Google is not worth it anymore. I, d I, don't, I don't see the value because it's not helping me, it's not helping me monetize my, my business. And it's a, it's, a really, it's a really tricky area that they have to, 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 you know, to navigate right now because it was easy to sort of say, hey, we're going to be the middleman between a search engine and access to content and monetize the breadth there because it becomes a game, right? How do I, how do I create the, the best arbitrage for getting to the top of search results? When there is only one, <laughs> it, it stops being a game, right? It becomes the, there is only one winner and you can't change that winner. So it, it'll, it's just going to be fascinating. To it's really going to be a haves and have nots story. 
if you have the audience, you're going to be fine. If you don't, you're going to have major problems. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Now, there's some interesting things that are going on that I've been hearing about in other search engines uh, that are looking to use AI um, in a different way to basically base it off of the uh, the author or the basically the trust in the answer itself, um, which could be a really interesting new kind of algorithm, right? Which is how much authority, not just in authority, like domain authority or something like that, but how much authority do you have trust built up in content you create? And that will actually uh, create a higher propensity for you to appear in search results. And AI could be a good tool to start to discern some of that. It'll, that will be interesting as well to follow. Man, we barely scratched the surface. It's going to be, going to oh, be crazy. It's going to be, it's going to be, it, there's so much change coming here in the next. So, well, with that, let's get to our rants and raves section. But before we get to rants and raves, uh, let's actually talk a little bit about where you can get all the access to the wonderful show notes and the links that we talk about. And of course, you have direct access to us. Thank you very much for your voicemails. Those are totally fun to get, by the way. The emails are great. Uh, questions are wonderful. We've had a few questions come in of, over the last couple of uh, a couple of weeks, which have been wonderful to answer. You can do all of that at our wonderful little website, which is called thisoldmarketing.site. Uh, and you can do all sorts of things. You can leave us a voicemail. You can subscribe to our newsletters. You can click on the links in the shows. It's 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 a fully functioning website, as it they is. say. The kids call it a <laughs> website. A website. I am the webmaster, and it is a website. Um, anyway, I'm going off on the rails here, but uh, yeah. That so please do that, and also go, give us the questions. Twitter, yes, still monitoring Twitter for your show ideas, for your hashtag, this old marketing, wonderful comments. Uh, Do hashtag us up there if you're doing that. I'm still monitoring that, as Joe is as well. He's on Twitter. LinkedIn, uh, clearly both of us are leaning into LinkedIn, so we'd love those ideas there, too, Mm -hmm. if you're posting things. And you can hashtag us with this old marketing uh, on there as well. Um, All right, so you've got a quick one. Yeah, let me go through this because I want to run through yours, and it's very interesting. So this is is a uh, piece from Big Think. I wasn't familiar with BigThink.com, but I love this article. Oh, it's a great site. No, it's a great site. So basically the the article is called How Reading Fiction Can Make You a Better Person. And, of course, I (laughs) totally lean into this one. And the takeaways of this one are uh, basically works of fiction, uh, have been associated with very important social changes. And the research that they talk about in this article basically says that um, you can relate with other people better. You're more open-minded. Uh, you have better social interactions. You can read other people better just by reading fiction novels, fiction books. So uh, my this is my push for everyone should be reading more fiction. And I can attest to you, this is my personal experience, but I feel that even the business opportunities that I got involved with were never there until I started reading. I read two novels per month and I have for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. It's totally changed wow. my life. And everything that I read in this article is true from my perspective. And there's not only one way to do things, but from my perspective, I would I would make a recommendation. I'll put this link in the show notes so people can check it out. I just love the fact that <laughs> I'm, I'm taking my own personal beliefs and they have a little research behind it. So I'm like, oh, good. I can justify my beliefs yeah, through this research. My so I feel really good about myself yeah, I, then. So I will tell you this. Um, I am a I am a 
avid nonfiction reader, uh, as you know, and many people who have followed the show know, I'm a I'm a perennial student reading. I read a lot of business books. I read hashtag all the business books. I try to anyway. Read lots of them, um, and I read a lot of nonfiction uh, on a on a week by week basis. And I am woefully behind and not good at reading fiction. Um, uh, where I used to be, right? I mean, I was an English lit grad yeah. for 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 crying out loud, and and you know, so I've got I'm fairly well read, but I'm not well read of late uh, in terms of fiction, and it's just another sign to me that I need to get back on that horse because it's it, it is it, it does I mean there's I mean you don't need a research study to tell you that reading fiction makes you a better person. I mean it just it just does it makes you well more well rounded. It makes you it helps your creativity. It helps your thought process. It helps you use words better it, it's just it's it's uh it's a good thing there's there's no bad things about reading fiction it's just weird uh most people that i run into don't read they they read online they read their social media they read articles online yeah. but they don't read books yeah it's um it's i don't know it's a tragedy in my opinion i there's some research that talks about how that the the uh uh the 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 what has happened over time is that younger people are not able to hold uh, books in their head as long. Um, I don't know that I believe that, um, but I, I do believe that the trend of, of what's actually happening is moving definitely in that way, that books themselves are becoming shorter. You know, I mean, look, I just had this, I just had this, uh, this conversation with my publisher. So I'm tur- I've turned in my manuscript. Congratulations. Um, so thank you very much. And they returned it back to me with their edits, which were <laughs> many of them um, uh, good, most of them good. Um, but one of the things that we got into a bit of a discussion about is, and, and you and I have talked about this, is sort of the formatting of blog posts and the formatting of, of, of content, short two-sentence paragraphs, sometimes one-sentence paragraphs, very short, snippy things that you can browse very quickly, right? That has really emerged in the world of books, right? You can read business books now and they're very much formatted like blog posts, right? Where it's one sentence paragraphs, two sentence paragraphs. And these guys are old school. Like this publisher is old. They're like, no, no, no. Paragraphs are five sentences. They have a beginning, a middle and end. And you need to basically, you know, format your book that way. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, we've been going back and forth a little bit on that, but it's, it's, it is fascinating to me that they're not wrong. Right, they're they're not wrong, and they're they're not necessarily right either. But it's a fascinating trend in the way that we read. It's it's uh, it'll be I'm, interesting to I'm see. I'm going to stay on this just for a little bit longer. I actually, when I go pick out a new book, if I'm at the, I was at the library the other day, and I do this a lot. I go into the fiction section and I start looking at authors I want to look at. I will flip through the book. Long paragraphs, I put back. I like short paragraphs. <laughs> I, I do. I like short paragraphs. Yeah. I like fiction with dialogue. It's just the way that I look at it. I like reading them like blog posts. If it's a yeah. if it's if the paragraph is the whole page, I'm like, oh man, you got to break that stuff up. That's not for me. So whatever. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Now I I will say that I you know I'm I'm avoiding that as I go through the manuscript and I start combining things. Um, it, it I am I am avoiding like page long paragraphs and stuff like that just you know through through the editing yeah. process but it it is a fascinating trend all right so let, let's hear about your all right yeah so here. okay so last week last week uh, I wrote a post so so just to bring everybody up to speed last week uh, chat GPT and Bing announced their big uh, integration 
and they had the big launch event and, and all that stuff. And not to be outdone, Google, I think it was two days later, uh, did their big event where in their launching of what they're calling Bard, which is not available yet, I think there's a, there's a beta for the API, but, not, but there's not an actual user-level beta uh, available like there is with, um, uh, with Microsoft. The interesting thing was is that the Bard announcement had a pre-recorded video uh, of you, people using it, and in one of the videos, uh, the AI gave a wrong answer. And the wrong answer was somebody said something about, you know, what are all the amazing things that the James Webb telescope has done? And one of the answers that the AI gave was take the first uh, picture of an exoplanet, basically a planet outside our solar system. And so it, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think this is true, but, but, you know, the news reports were like it now wiped $100 billion off of Google stock price. Um, that incorrect answer, I think it was way, they were due for, an, they were due for a correction anyway, but I mean, that's a whole other topic, right? But, but the idea was, is that they had a very bad day because of it, right? Their, their announcement did not go nearly as well, even though, by the way, the Bing AI, as well as the Bing search engine, returns the exact same result. And when you go search Google, uh, and this was really the the point of my post was you go search Google for this and it gives you the 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 that that incorrect answer, um, and the the correct answer by the way is that we've been photographing exoplanets since two thousand five and and have been relatively well not relatively frequently but certainly uh, on occasion we've been doing it all the way up until twenty twenty when we were doing it with the the VLT the very large telescope down in South America anyway I write a post. That basically what I – and I, my headline to the post – you don't really make headlines in LinkedIn posts. And you, you basically – my headline was one comma and $100 billion. And my point as I went through my post was I told that story that I just told you. Uh, and I said the, the, the most important thing was – the interesting thing to me was that the anchor post for all of the media companies that, by the way, if you do that search – Yes, it comes up in Google, but the first, by my count, 30, 30 links all say the same thing, that the James Webb Telescope took the first pictures of blah, blah, blah. And the anchor article for all those media posts, because I went and clicked on them, and they linked to the blog post and sort of quasi-press release that NASA put out. So it was a NASA blog post from September of 2022. And the very first sentence of that blog post says... For the first time, comma, astronomers have used NASA's James Webb Telescope to take a direct image of a planet outside our solar mm -hmm. system. So I, I was sort of cloyingly trying to be clever with my little headline there, and I, put, I said it's one comma, one comma cost Google $100 billion because basically it read that sentence the wrong way, right? But so did the tens, hundreds of reporters, content creators, editors at all these other magazines who reported the exact same quote-unquote fact or inaccurate fact because they just misread the sentence. The, the sentence, of course, is supposed to mean that for the first picture that the James Webb telescope took, it was of an exoplanet of a planet outside our solar system. So the, the fascinating thing is, is that the Google AI, was, which was the point of my post, kind of got it right. In other words, they looked at the, the corpus of information out in the world, said everybody basically says the same thing, 
and said, and, and, and recency is there as well, right? That they've recently said all of this stuff. Hundreds of articles say this. It must be true. Therefore, I'm reporting it as fact. And what I basically, the conclusion of my post, which was a question more than an answer, I was just going to, this is a very interesting problem for AI designers to have to solve, which is how are you going to teach that just because everybody says it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, the post goes viral. At, uh, at literally as we record this, it's got 190,000 impressions. Uh, it's got 122 comments, 111 reposts. My commentary, to the extent that there is one, is I am fascinated. I am fascinated with the comments here. Many of them, and most of them, by the way, wonderful comments. There's exceedingly few troll comments in here. Very few. I mean, I've read every single one of these comments. LinkedIn is pretty good, actually, overall. They probably have the best commenting because it's real people for the most part. There are all, there's maybe one or two in the 120 that are there that are like, you know, kind of trolling yeah. content comments. But most of them are very good. But the fascinating thing was, and if I could take this back, I would. I would say, I don't know, 60%, 70%, 80%, I haven't done an exact count, focus on the grammar part. They, they're like, you know, the people who disagree with me are like, it's not the fault of the comma. The comma had nothing to do with it, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And they're, and they're really, really like upset at me because I've blamed the comma. And the other half are, or, or smaller percentage, get the point, right? They, they really like the point. But many of them like my point about the comma. So the discussion really needs to, it, it seems to be about the comma, not about the point that I was trying to make that humans make the same mistakes. And I'm just fascinated by that. And one, there was one comment even in there that talked about how, uh, you know, they were, the, my, that my post was cleverly misleading, you know, and they, I think he was trying to give me a backhanded compliment by saying it's cleverly misleading because you, you made it about the comma in the headline. And everybody sort of latched onto that from that point forward in the article. It's like, uh, if I could go back, and actually change my, and I wouldn't have blamed the comma, and I might have not even uh, said something about the $100 billion, because there was tons of comments about, you know, well, Google was had a correction coming and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Anyway, all of that is to say, I'm fascinated with where people went with it. it, it, it that, that was what was really fascinating to me. It wasn't that my post went viral, or that my point was quote-unquote missed. Um, it's how many people actually were really upset and really disturbed by the grammar part of it, which is says something, right? It says something about, you know, and, and as I said, somebody in the one of the comments went, you, you hit upon one of the hottest topics in LinkedIn, which is grammar, right? You know, anytime grammar comes up, it's going to, it's going to cause a firestorm of controversy. So anyway, that's, that's my commentary is just the, the fascinating aspect of, so, of, of when you have a post go viral. That's like that. so funny. It, I, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the LinkedIn algorithm and how it works as well. So it's, it's just, and, and you were on that post, as soon as you posted it, you started to get com like when you get comments, like right away, you know, things are starting to go. And, that's right. Uh, yeah. And you were, yeah, you were responding to some and that's the way you do it. And the reposts yeah. and the, it, the, it's the repost and the, and the comments were, were, were really getting in. 190,000 impressions the is that's, that's big time because those are, pe- that's yeah, not like a Twitter 
LinkedIn are, are more legit where people will actually see it. So yeah, pretty good stuff. That's exactly good. Right. Yeah, no, it's really, yeah, really interesting, really interesting, uh, really interesting thing. And, and it makes me want to do more, right? It makes me want to do more of those because it was fun. It was fun to watch all that stuff come in and have people, you know, there, I mean, <laughs> there's some people who got really upset about this. I mean, in, in good ways and bad you could, ways. Yeah, you, there's, you could have a whole new thing as the comma guy. And yeah, <laughs> the build a whole guy. media, I do media want, I actually, enterprise around I actually the thought comma. I would, I, I was actually thinking about writing a, a, a follow-up post to this called, you know, um, ap- apologizing to the comma. Yeah. <laughs> That'll probably go, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's divisive. You're right. You hit on something. It is. So. Okay. It is. It is very hot topic. All right, what do you got coming up this week? You're leaving. Well, again. yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm we're, on we're my not own telling anybody week. where we're going. I'm actually going to be yeah, on we're, my own. We're taking a little time off, and and I'm, yeah, I'm sort of excited that that the next show. Uh, I mean, I'm excited and not excited where I'm not going to be available. It's going to be you, and we we're going to have a, yeah. a guest. A guest host. We are going to have a, a special person sitting in your seat. Um, we won't say who that is just yet. Um, we'll keep that a little bit of a surprise for the next episode. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be a little weird. I got to say to but um, but it'll be fun. It'll be we'll have a good time. You'll have a good time with your getting rid of your February blues, and, and, <laughs> whatever uh, problems that I, <laughs> whatever problems you that can, you have. Yeah, you're like, oh, we got your problems. Come back into the real world. Let me know when you're ready. So that's exactly good. Good. what do you, you you're, exactly you're good. What do you got? Uh, we're busy. Yeah. yeah. We got client work. It's all busy. Work, 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 all good stuff. I'm not complaining one little bit. It's been a really lovely January and February is turning out to be great as well. So, uh, yeah. And here we go. Just, you know, just sitting around watching, uh, watching AI do its Makes thing. Sense. It'll be, it's going to be great a great time to be time. in, in content and marketing. It really is. No doubt. No so. doubt. All right. Well, that is it. So, well, you know, tune in next week and see what that's all about with uh, with Joe away and our special guest host with me. Um, and until we see you next week, remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.